Hello, and welcome to The Uptrack. This is a podcast series hosted by Wasatch Backcountry Alliance. My name is Brad Rutledge. I'm a Wasatch Backcountry Alliance board member, and thanks for joining us. This is, the, this is a new activity for us, so we're trying to work out a few bugs, so I really appreciate everyone's patience. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Wasatch Backcountry Alliance. Um, we are uh, an organization that was founded back in 2012, and we have the mission of being the recognized voice for the backcountry community. We focus specifically on human-powered winter recreation in the central Wasatch Mountains. We represent a unified voice to the media, partners, elected officials, and the general public. We really focus on advocacy for, to support our causes. And we, we've designed you know, our organization to serve as a central information venue for all those things that, that are really important to us. So uh, we're really excited to be launching this new podcast series uh, on, on a super important topic. And um, as, as we're going through this, a lot of people, if you're tuning into this, you're, you're well aware of a lot of the transportation challenges that we have uh, within the Wasatch Front. And specifically, a lot of organizations have worked on resolving and solving transportation issues in the canyons for many, many years. And part of what we'll talk about in today's podcast uh, are some of the efforts in the past and then bringing us up to speed with where we are today. Um, with that, um, what I would like to do is go around and introduce the other panelists today. And so for the other panelists, if you want, uh, or if you could, please, um, uh, turn off uh, your, you know, unmute your microphone and I'm going to go ahead and uh, see if I can't um, get us started here. Uh, so first of all, let me introduce George Vargas. Uh, George is uh, a, an original board member like myself. Uh, he skis at the resorts uh, with his family and also as often as he can enjoys the wild spaces in our canyons in the Wasatch. Uh, he's involved in, he's been involved in various aspects of conservation in the canyons for over 25 years. Thanks for being here, George. Thanks for setting it up, Brad. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next, I want to introduce Tom Daigle. Tom is also a, an original board member uh, with myself and George with Wasatch Backcountry Alliance. Uh, Tom, uh, you may have seen Tom. He has a, a popular blog that's out there. He's also a columnist for Ascent Mag Backcountry Magazine uh, and uh, a, an observer for Utah Avalanche Center. Thanks, Brad. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then finally, uh, we have Chris Adams, who is the Wasatch Backcountry Alliance president. Uh, Chris transplanted from Maine, uh, like a lot of us, uh, to be here and live close to the mountains. Uh, he gets out and backcountry skis as much as possible. Uh, thanks for being here, Chris. Hey, Brad. Thanks. Uh, so with, with that, uh, you know, really want to um, kind of set the stage with the, the vision for this podcast. Uh, right now we're facing, um, you know, unprecedented transportation challenges in our um, in the Wasatch, whether you're going up Big Cottonwood, Little Cottonwood, everyone's experienced this. And uh, Wasatch Backcountry Alliance has been highly involved for many years in trying to develop solutions around some of these problems. Uh, we've, you know, right now we're facing, you know, the uh, UDOT, Utah Department of Transportation is leading an effort with environmental impact state or uh, the EIS, the environmental impact statement and different transportation alternatives that they're considering. Uh, WBA has, has um, analyzed, you know, a lot of this and come up with a preliminary um, recommended transportation alternative to what's happening. And um, what we've realized is that this is a really complicated issue. And we wanted to bring this podcast uh, to the, the public um, uh, in two, for two main goals. One, to um, open up the dialogue and, uh, you know, to, to others, you know, our membership and others about a lot of the issues that we've talked about behind closed doors to come to our, you know, our, our conclusions throughout this process. But two, 
uh, we really do want to be open-minded about where we, we are today. And we've set up a podcast series that includes different stakeholders from the CWC and UDOT to also advocates for each of the, the transportation alternatives that are out there from busing to the gondola solutions uh, to finally the cog train. And throughout the process, we've committed that we want to have an open mind about these solutions, listen, um, invite our membership and the community to be a part of this process. And, um, you know, at the, the end of it, we want to come to a solid conclusion with recommendations for what we think is best for, uh, for the central Wasatch. Um, with that, uh, we thought it would be really useful to uh, provide a historical context as to where we've been and uh, to also talk about you know, where we are today. So with that, I'm gonna turn things over to, to George to um, you know, lead the next part of the conversation. So George, um, it's, uh, you're up. All right, thanks, Brad. Um, you know, uh, history is really uh, something to pay attention to. And so uh, I have a quote I really like and I'll share with everybody uh, before we get going. And it's by Maya Angelou and it says, you can't really know where you're going until you know where you've been. So with that, I'm gonna talk about the history of the uh, uh, mostly big and little cottonwood canyons, but all, all of the watershed canyons touch upon these topics. Watershed stewardship, dates back to the first pioneers and settlers in the Salt Lake Valley. In the 1870s, there was a clear recognition of protecting water from contamination. However, despite the recognition of the value of clean water, by the early 1900s, the unchecked industries of logging, grazing, and mining, as well as sewage in big and little cottonwood canyons degraded the water to the point of being unfit for human consumption. There were three large legislative uh, agreements between the federal government, uh, in, which was the Forest Service at the time, uh, and Salt Lake City leadership in establishing protections of the canyons and forest, recognizing the critical value of clear, clean water for residents. The first skiers in the nearby Wasatch were actually miners and loggers. For the adventurous, one of the most popular recreational ski tours involving skiing from Park City to Brighton, and then on to Alta. After a night's sleep in Brighton, the tour continued to Alta the next day. After the mining and logging bust, the upper canyons were sited for skiing recreation by the Forest Service in coordination with property owners. The ski resorts, Brighton and Alta, emerged in the 1930s. By 1971, there were four Cottonwood Canyon ski resorts and all of them operated substantially on public land permitted through the Forest Service, along with the private inholdings. In contrast, Park City resorts operate primarily all on private land. Although the canyons always had recreational value to nearby residents, in a matter of less than 50 years, logging and mining were replaced by a burgeoning, exploding recreational industry. Now recreation and overuse are the main threats to our mountain ecosystems and priceless clean water. An example of unchecked recreational impact is represented by the closure of City Creek Canyon for 13 years between 1953 and 1967 due to overuse and poor sanitation. The 1970s and 80s saw continued resort expansion, but also the establishment of our three beloved wilderness areas in 1981, Alta expanded and opened the Supreme Lift. And there was a yurt that sat atop that summit area previously, used by backcountry skiers and travelers between Brighton and Alta. And that was lost and retired when that lift went in in 1981. In 1982, Honeycomb Canyon was brought into a solitude ski area, eliminating many backcountry options that our community experienced many times. Continued pressure on the canyons resulted in the first organized effort to plan development in the Tri-Canyons. The 1989's Canyons Master Plan was a visionary yet incomplete process. Important backcountry areas were formally recognized. During that time, interconnect of resorts was proposed with tunnels connecting Brighton to Heber and trams connecting the resorts. 
And there was even a concept of a Wasatch super tunnel being proposed, connecting Draper to Upper and Little, Upper, Little and Big Cottonwood Canyons. Thankfully, these concepts were rejected with expressed concern about water quality being too great a risk. Also around this time, Salt Lake City Olympics organizers agreed that environmental impacts would be too great to host events in Big and Little Cottonwood Canyons. The 1990s saw Solitude Resort build a village on one of their two parking lots, effectively slashing their parking capacity enormously. And then so in 15 year period, the resort expanded into backcountry terrain and it reduced its parking. That's so shocking to me, I'll just even say that again. They, they expanded into public land and made the resort expand onto these prized areas and they reduced the parking, it just fathoms the mind. A few years later, Snowbird expanded into Utah County's Mineral Basin. Little Cottonwood Canyon historically used uh, to be closed for days at a time for snow clearing and avalanche control. Congestion and traffic have been a challenge for more than 40 or 50 years. But with modern avalanche control techniques and improved snow plowing, closures are mitigated. But the user numbers are skyrocketing and patience is thin, while thirst for profits and powder loom ever larger. In 2003, the revised forest plan was introduced, and that is the current plan the canyons operate under now. It specifically addressed parking in the form of prohibition on expanded parking in the canyons. It is the de facto indicator of canyon carrying capacity. In some ways, it's functioning as intended to the displeasure of many people. The Forest Service plan also scrutinizes resort proposals to expand on public land. Despite the Forest Service plan, proposals for resort expansion continued with a chairlift up Flagstaff Mountain across the street from Alta, ski link gondola connecting the old canyons, now Park City Mountain Resort to Solitude. More recently, the threat of a lift in Grizzly Gulch continues relentlessly, as well as dreams of interconnect pursued by industry. Over the past 15 to 20 years, numerous planning studies for the canyons have been conducted, examining public sentiment on transportation, land use, watershed protection, and resource management. But no consensus agreement on actions have occurred. The most recent efforts attempting to comprehensively plan the canyons has resulted in the Mountain Accord and subsequent Central Wasatch Commission, which will be discussed by Tom Daigle. For the sake of keeping the balance, we need to carefully examine large proposals that will impact the careful harmony of developed and undeveloped sites that in the end, will need to also keep our water and watersheds safe for all residents. Development actions seem to proceed from project to project or in a piecemeal fashion. In this circumstance, we seem to have arrived at a balance of wild landscapes adjacent to more densely developed areas made to accommodate tens of thousands of visitors. Wasatch Backcountry Alliance is supportive of th this current balance and is not in favor of disrupting this balance because the lands and access our community relies on are continuously at risk for being consumed by ongoing piecemeal development and subsequent overcrowding. Brad, that's my, my spiel. Nice work. Um, George, I wanted to ask you about uh, this, this sticker. When you and I first met uh, many years ago, uh, you gave me this sticker. Um, uh -huh. just kind of a little quick side note on it, because I think it's, it's kind of interesting for the, the history of things, you know? Yeah, that was, that, that was uh, I think guess it was like 2007 or 2008, something around that, when uh, Flagstaff was, um, there was talk, not a formal proposal, but there were studies done looking at uh, mitigating avalanche risk. Um, and really, it was a cover for expanding the ski area although the argument of explosives was brought up and so forth, but a lift up Flagstaff Mountain was really a uh, uh, considerable threat that had never been proposed before. And it's amazing that I think that's really in the, in the rear view mirror now with the installations of the, the modern avalanche technology that's up there now and recognizing how valuable the community views 
that area of the canyon and landscape. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, and I, I think it also highlights um, that battles have been going on for, for a really long time around how to protect and preserve what, what exists here in the Wasatch. It's really unique, that balance that this organization was, was formed, that you were part of to fight one battle. And Wasatch Backcountry Alliance, you know, was, was put together. I think, you know, Tom will get into this a little bit. It's a great segue, uh, but to be a sustainable uh, force, uh, you know, because there's constant pressures, you know, on, on what we're trying, you know, what, what's happening here in the Wasatch. So, George, thank you so much. With that, I'm gonna just turn things over um, to you, Tom. Okay, <clears throat> good, thanks, Brad. And uh, George, thanks a lot for doing that deeper dive into the into the history. And you know, it's important to to realize that the the issues that we're having today they've been around in sort of various forms for a long time. And so it's it's a struggle. It's been an ongoing struggle for the resorts and the residents of the valley. But uh, I think it's uh, I think it's safe to say that it's getting more acute now. So um, as Brad mentioned at the outset. Wasatch, the Wasatch Backcountry Alliance was formed about eight years ago, uh, mostly as a function of protests against the ski link. And if you weren't here, you don't remember, the ski link was a chairlift that was going to go from the, the canyons, which is now part of Park City Mountain Resort, up and over the ridge down uh, into Big Cottonwood Canyon. And that was, um, you know, essentially a chairlift, but they were proposing it as a transportation solution. Uh, the only problem with that is that uh, from a lot of people's perspective, a transportation solution and a ski lift are pretty different things. A ski lift gets people up to go skiing. A transportation solution really moves people on a uh, sort of year-round basis, not just for a few months a year in the winter, and at all times of the day, not just to move necessarily, necessarily move people from uh, you know, the bottom of the canyon to the top from you know, 7.30 to 9, and then get back down from 3 to 5. So uh, it's important here as we discuss, as we talk about these issues with these various transportation experts who are all pushing their own sort of um, their own ideas about transportation, that we keep in mind that it's what we're talking about here is fundamentally transportation and not publicly subsidized chairlifts. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an important distinction here because we all know if you live here and you use the Wasatch, uh, if you use the Cottonwood Canyons, you know that, that uh, summertime use is just as busy really these days as wintertime use. And that, uh, you know, if, again, if you're watching this, you probably are an avid skier, you probably have been going up the canyons at five or six in the morning. And that it's, again, it's not just um, to service the ski resorts. The ski resorts are important and many, many, uh, of the people watching this, many, most of the Wasatch Backcountry Alliance members are, are resort skiers as well, but we are looking for a more holistic uh, transportation system. So um, <clears throat> we started out uh, in response to that ski link. The ski link effectively was killed by effectively so the social response to the ski link. And then uh, shortly thereafter, uh, in the uh, various stakeholders around the valley, both the Salt Lake Valley and the Wasatch Back, a lot of uh, elected politicians, community organizers, community representatives, they all got together to create the Mountain Accord, which you, most of you have probably heard of. Mountain Accord was a multi-year process that ended up with signing an accord to address uh, various issues in the Wasatch. An important thing that wasn't, that was initially discussed as a key element of the accord was transportation. But as the accord went along, it became clear that transportation was so big and so complex that it was going to sort of consume all the other, all the sort of oxygen in the room before they get anything else done. So effectively, the Mountain Accord kind of punted a little bit on the concept of transportation and punted that down to the CWC. The CWC is an acronym for the Central Wasatch Commission. The Central Wasatch Commission was established as sort of the arm that was going to have some teeth to develop the ideas that the Mountain Accord sort of created. And so that, that kind of, that took a while to get going. The CWC got going. And then 
it became clear that between the state legislature and the congressional delegation, Curtis um, Stewart at the time, Jason Chaffetz, Rob Bishop, none of those guys are going to be on board at all, including very importantly, the state legislature, unless there was something being done about transportation. They were hearing from their constituents that the transportation to Canyons was a big deal. So the Central Wasatch Commission decided that 2020 in particular was going to be the year they're going to focus on transportation and kind of set aside the legislation, which had a lot of different elements of it, of setting, um, affirming resort boundaries, doing land swaps, some other things, to focus on on, on transportation to, to kind of try and put put that to bed, so, so to speak. Um, and so last year, they really focused exclusively on transportation. This, and then that sort of leads me to UDOT. And UDOT was originally part of both the Mountain Accord and the Central Wasatch Commission. However, um, they got a little bit afraid of getting sort of involved in the, the depth and complexity of a holistic central Wasatch system, and they kind of retrograded into, well, the legislature wants us to work exclusively on Little Cottonwood Canyon, and that's what we're gonna do. The legislature gave uh, UDOT something like $70 million to explore tolling in Little Cottonwood Canyon, and they kind of rolled that over into trying to come up with a transportation solution for especially Little Cottonwood Canyon. So, it's kind of like the Central Wasatch Commission is going down sort of one road and UDOT is kind of going down another road simultaneously over the last about year and a half. And that's why that last spring, we asked our members to comment on UDOT's EIS, Environmental Impact Statement, that they had created for these uh, solutions that they came up with, which was basically a gondola, expanded bus system, and to a lesser extent at the time, rail solution going up Little Cottonwood Canyon. The Central Wasatch Commission was trying to work on what they are calling their Mountain Transportation System or MTS. There's a lot of three little acronyms here. So you gotta kind of, it's hard to keep up with all this. Uh, so they're going along simultaneously. And uh, then, so as a result in the fall, there was another public comments period for the Central Wasatch Commission. So for their plan, and the plans are now sort of coming together. UDOT is still kind of charging down their path. The Central Wasatch Commission is sort of charging down their path, but the idea is that they'll be, they'll be listening to each other and influencing each other to come up with sort of the plan. Um, but <clears throat> we, we want to make sure that's the, that we understand both all the plans and how they're gonna mesh. And importantly, also how that corresponds with the Utah Transit Alliance, uh, Transit Alliance the buses, the bus system. So that, that's really important as well. And so that's why we're getting all of these people together to ask them the same questions, some of the same questions and some of the hard questions about what is really their vision for the Wasatch and for transportation and how are they gonna, how are they gonna work together? Because UDOT builds roads. They just build, they just, they, their job is to move people from A to B. The Central Wasatch Commission has sort of a broader scope because they're taking into account Big Cottonwood Canyon, Little Cottonwood Canyon, uh, and Mill Creek, and the Wasatch Back. And they, so they have sort of an idea of what they want to do there. And then UTA is sort of like, well, we'll do whatever you want. Just tell us, even though we have a, you know, a budget that's, that's really minuscule, but we may be executing on what part of this, on what these plans are. So it's pretty complex, which again is why we're trying to, to um, bring all these folks together kind of in one sort of room, or at least in one, in a similar venue to understand what's going on. So I just wanted to kind of give you that as a context, because it's pretty complex. It's hard to figure out to um, kind of get you going on where, where, how we got to this point. So Chris, you want to take it from here? Absolutely. So where we are now, as, as everyone has said before, is that there is this environmental impact statement that UDOT is working on. And that EIS 
is in a draft form and there's another draft coming out in, I believe it's April or the late spring that will be open for more comments. The original draft really only had the bus as it is using the existing roadway, the enhanced busing they call it, or uh, there was a gondola. The train really seemed to have been ruled out. Uh, through pressure from outside stakeholders, the, the, there's this new option at, at what's called the Lakai area, which is people may not realize is as you're going towards Little Cottonwood, as you're heading to the canyon, as you make the last big left turn, there's an area of property down there called Lakai, and there's talk about buying that and turning that into some kind of a, a big 1500 stall parking garage that could either be for a train, a cog railway, or a gondola from there. So there seem to be now five alternatives back on the docket. As Tom pointed out, it's a bit confusing, it's a bit hard to keep track of. The Central Wasatch Commission is also doing their own transportation study because what the Central Wasatch Commission is trying to do is they are trying to also push through this land bill, the Central Wasatch National Conservation Recreation Area Act. And that would set aside some lands in the canyons that could not be some public lands that could not be developed. And that's important to a lot of groups, including Wasatch Backcountry Alliance, because it would preserve them and prohibit ski lifts being put on them predominantly. So they remain as open areas for backcountry skiing. So that's a good part of the NCRA, as we call it. And the, there are other issues in there that need to be resolved. We don't think it's in its final form yet, but we think a, a bill could come out of that. And the Central Wasatch Commission wants to see that done. And they want to see that done, but they know, as Tom alluded to, that they first have to address the transportation issue. So they're working on their own set of proposals. That's where things stand right now. And one thing that I think it's very important to talk about as we look at all these proposals, and as you think about the different proposals over the coming weeks and months, is not just what will get you up there, but what solution not only gets you up there, but gets you up there in a way that makes sense so that you don't have to drive your car to take a bus to take a gondola or drive your car to park somewhere to take a train. But we also need to think about what solution is going to help with capacity and how capacity is going to be addressed in the canyons. And that is something that WBA has been talking about in addition to lots of other groups for years that our concern is that some people would like to see as many people as they can up there, that they don't have a problem if there are double or triple the number of people up there. And if a gondola can carry three or 5,000 people per hour, they view that as a positive thing. I would suggest, and I think WBA would suggest, that we don't view that as a positive thing. That at some point you're gonna to have too many people up there and it's going to despoil what has made Little Cottonwood, what we're talking about particularly, but the Central Wasatch in general, it's gonna ruin what has made it so special all this time. That having lifts all over it, which people think would be awesome. It'd be like the Alps. The Central Wasatch is a fraction of the size of the Alps. There are ski areas in the Alps that are bigger than the Central Wasatch. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about unique ecosystems in big cottonwood, little cottonwood, the Wasatch back. And we think those should be left as unique ecosystems. And we think that capacity needs to be addressed and that it needs to be thought through as people are making decisions. And we're concerned because UDOT has made it quite clear that capacity analysis is not really in their wheelhouse, that they really, as Tom said, they, they, they work on building roads and moving people. They talk about mobility. That's what their concern is, increasing mobility. And the US Forest Service, who of course is the biggest landowner, has said, well, we don't really do that either. So that's not really our job. Uh, the Central Wasatch Commission has started to look into that. And they're talking about a visitor management study it's unclear to WBA at this moment what that would look like exactly, but we think that it's very important to understand that, yes, could you get more people up there? Sure, but is that the right thing to do? As George mentioned, this is our watershed. This is where a huge portion of the water in the valley comes from big and little cottonwood canyons. And in fact, it's quite amazing that Salt Lake Public Utilities even lets people recreate up there. A lot of places do not let people in their watershed. The fact that we can let thousands of people up there every day to recreate is really quite impressive. So I think that needs to be in the back of people's minds as we make these decisions. So I just want to address that too, Brad, and that's really all that I had to say, and I'll kick it back to you. Yeah, that's great. Um, thank you, uh, for, you know, George, Tom, and, and Chris for your, your perspectives there. I think it was really valuable to um, hear from each of you, you know, all the way back to the history, to some of the mistakes that we made 
Um, you know, and, and George, I want to bring it back to you a little bit with, um, you know, some of the um, uh, conservation things, you know, the, uh, tapping into what you talked about before and turn it back to the panel. We've got a little bit of time left. Um, why, why is this so important? Um, you know, when we, when we look at, you know, again, some of those mistakes that were made where, you know, the, the, the canyon may be, you know, shut down and, and, and it actually totally segues from where Chris was talking about where we actually can go up and recreate in these mountains because we have such good controls. But talk a little bit more about, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the environment and, and why that's really important for us from the water to just the trails that we want to access. Well, I mean, we have a, uh, the valley population is at 1.3 million or something along those lines and the Wasatch Front, well above that. And for that concentration of people to live so proximate to wild space, of, of course you're gonna, uh, people will gravitate towards there. It's, it's, it's one of the main features that brings people to live here and, and increases quality of life. And uh, you have to sort of protect that, I think, and just sort of not agreeing to planning the future of it rather than just sort of get a piecemeal develop it is disadvantageous to the general public uh, who wants to use those canyons. And, and the other part of that is, is like, I realize skiing is a big part of the local economy and it's important and so forth. But then there's also the times when there's not skiing. And as Tom has mentioned, how summer visitor use has skyrocketed. It's a refuge up there. And we don't necessarily seek out. I, I'm not sure. I live in an urban area right now. And I'm not sure I want to travel up in the canyon to visit another urban area. That's not really the goal of those places. It's, it's right. to get some, some respite from concrete and asphalt. Um, and I think with proper planning, we can achieve that balance. And we have a, you know, we're, we're led into the balance that we have right now and we're accepting of it. But I think that everything that sort of moves forward towards um, even if efficiencies up there and so forth, that like the, uh, the, the, the open spaces become compromised and consumed essentially by the further development. And so we're the ones who are always compromising, it feels like. Right. And uh, I, I'm, we don't really, the reciprocation is not felt many times uh, towards uh, what are the industries giving up at times. Right. Um, kind of keep that yeah. balance. And it's, it's always coming after the, the open spaces. And we're, and, and that's, once again, that, that's large reason why many of us are even here. Yeah, and you know. I just want to follow up on that. I think that's a great point by George that the whole impetus of the Mountain Accord was to bring all these diverse stakeholders together and to mm -hmm. say, look, we understand this is a complex issue and there's no easy solution. That would have been done if it was out there. But let's try to reach agreement. And everybody, you know, walked forward sort of nervously, but saying, okay, and we're all going to give something. And we, WBA, you know, have some concerns. It's not perfect by any means, but there's, there's plenty of aspects that we were excited about and wanted to live with. But as George said, as this discussion has, has dragged on, and it's been years at this point, it seems like there are more and more asks to give up by the backcountry community and the recreation community and the environmental community and the conservation community. Right. And I also understand, as George said, that tourism in the ski industry is important. But at some point, it seems to me that you have to say enough is enough. And at some point you say that ski area is big enough and that ski area has enough people and it cannot just continue to expand and gobble up the entire canyon. And if it does, it will, and I'm not suggesting that that's unique to here, but you will ruin what has made something special. Yeah. And to George's point, if you suddenly put lifts from Mount Superior over to Grizzly Gulch wrapping around all of Upper Little Cottonwood Canyon, that is going to have a very different feeling and attract a different sort of people and turn a lot of people off. And that's why we think it'd be really important to preserve those areas and keep them as open space, keep them as beautiful. Right? Yeah. You know, um, Chris, I want to jump in on a couple of things there that, uh, you know, this conversation reminds me of. So I, I was quoted, uh, you know, in the Deseret News talking about, 
um, sort of the fear of, you know, this effort to make the Wasatch like an amusement park. And I think you kind of highlighted that a little bit where we start talking about this is going to be, more, you know, a tourist attraction. And, you know, I think there, there is a lot of concern from our community. And, and, you know, as we talk about this as a board of, um, you know, the crowding, the crowding at the resorts, um, the crowding in the back country. And now we're designing these uh, transportation solutions that are going to be moving, you know, upwards of a thousand people more per hour up the canyon and still reaching parking capacity. And, you know, you start to wonder, like, what are we trying to do? What, what's the vision for this? But I want to get back to um, one of the things George talked about and, and asked Tom your opinion on this. Um, how close are we to, do, do you think, to the original vision of the, the Mountain Accord? You know, hundreds, if not thousands of hours were invested in that from our group, our board of directors, but also other stakeholders. You know, what are your thoughts around kind of the vision of the Mountain Accord and where, you know, this, this point of where we're at now? I, <clears throat> I think the, um, <clears throat> I honestly think we're not very far away. I think that, um, that people, it, if nothing else, it was really good for sort of a lot of different stakeholders with different perspectives and goals and in, in fact sometimes diametrically opposed perspectives and goals um, came together to under, sort of understand each other's perspectives a bit more. I think that's um, it's super important uh, to do and I think that <clears throat> fundamentally there are a lot probably more similarities than there are differences. Um, the, the challenge comes when uh, we live in a state where the, the leadership seems to sort of think that um, stuffing ever more people into the state and and perpetual unending high uh, percentage economic growth is not only uh, desired but inevitable or maybe it's inevitable but at least it's desired you know it's just it's and um, so I think that the idea to try and manage that and do it um, effectively is an idea that's shared by a lot of people but one problem with it is that the state legislature and the congressional representation that we have, they're not necessarily mountain people and all they really know is economic development. So, um, and they, they, so therefore they listen to the people who are behind economic development. And I think that uh, people who don't necessarily in their minds represent economic development dollars don't get as much, um, as much sway in the conversations. Yeah. So something that we have to, we have to acknowledge that economic development is, is a bit of a reality, but we have to kind of keep beating the drum, drum and reminding people that it's not all about that. And that, as George said, a lot of it is about sort of the, the experience, exper experiential elements that we get out of this. And for a lot of that, we have to rely on the, on the National Forest Service, which as Chris pointed out, are the, the biggest uh, landholders up there and really are the major stewards and kind of arbiters of our, of our uh, lands up there. Yeah, one, one uh, point I wanted to make um, uh, about economic development, uh, there's an, there are other economic aspects to this outside of ski resorts. And again, we're, we are, pro, you know, I think as an organization and individuals, we want a healthy tourism industry. We, we support the ski resorts. Many of us go ski there with our family. So we don't want to sort of pit ourselves necessarily against that. I want to just note that. But, um, you know, a lot of the big employers here, and, and I think of um, technology, which is what I'm familiar with, they use access to the Wasatch Mountains as a selling point to attract talent, top talent to the state. And uh, there, there, are, there are other aspects of you know, the Wasatch, the central Wasatch and overcrowding it and, and sort of doing these things wrong or just never doing anything and having these problems will have an effect. And so um, it, when we talk about the economics of it, I think it's also important to, to uh, understand that our dispersed user community and people that want to go up and hike on these trails and they want to move to Utah for this lifestyle is really an important part of, of what this is all about. Um, I wanted to ask another question to the uh, to, to you guys about um, kind of the broader vision. You know, so this you know with with the UDOT 
EISL for, for Little Cottonwood Canyon. It's really, it's focused on Little Cottonwood Canyon. A lot of people are saying, what about Big Cottonwood Canyon? Um, and, and they're, they're trying to envision kind of a more holistic, you know, how does this all work together? Um, you know, do you guys have any comments on, you know, um, I guess the state of where we're at, obviously there's money and funding related to the, you know, UDOT's effort now, and that's moving forward. That's why we're talking about it. But what about the rest of the central Wasatch? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll speak to that. And I obviously would, you know, like to hear everyone else's point. I, I think that the reason there's so much focus on Little Cottonwood is that the legislature appropriated $60 million, right? And so there's this money that, you know, needs to be spent. It needs to, UDOT needs to do something with it. So they are, they are moving forward with that. We very early in the process told the UDOT person who was heading it up that it was a mistake to look at Little Cottonwood in the vacuum, that whatever decision you make on Little Cottonwood will have an Im immediate impact on Big Cottonwood. He didn't really understand that at first. And we said, okay, if you put a toll at the bottom of Little Cottonwood, do you think that'll change people's behavior? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, if you tell me it's $10 to go up Little Cottonwood, but free to go up Big Cottonwood, I bet a lot of people go up Big Cottonwood. He said, well, that's sort of outside the scope of our, of our, of our EIS. And so, you know, you run into that. So UDOT, and they've made it clear to us that they're looking at Little Cottonwood because that's their, the scope of what they're looking at. To Tom's point, the Central Wasatch Commission has expanded their view. And they are looking at a bigger, more um, robust solution that would address transit on the Wasatch front, the Wasatch back, getting up parleys. Um, we, as I alluded to before, we think it's very important that there's transportation that comes from neighborhoods. You know, you hear people talk about, oh, I remember when I was in high school, I could hop on a bus at Dan's at Foothill Plaza, and it would take me up to Solitude, right? And yeah, that'd be awesome. I would love to hop on a bus at Dan's and ride up to one of the ski areas directly. That'd be great. You know, I certainly don't want to ride my car down to the town to like the gravel pit or 94th South and hop on a bus, then have to take a gondola. And I'm just not right. going to do that. And I'm sure they will try to come up with ways to disincentivize that about charging you to go up the canyon or to park. But changing your car three times, changing your transportation three times is going to be hard. Not to mention if you've got kids and you've got a lot of gear, it's going to be really unpalatable. So right. I think that we also have to frame this in, there are sort of short, medium, and long-term solutions that have to be put into play. So let's be honest, if Little Cottonwood were to, if UDOT was to decide we want a cog railway, right? And I have no idea if they want that or not. They're not going to put a cog railway in next summer, right? That's not happening next summer. And I don't know how long it's going to take to do it, but I think we can all agree it's going to take years. There's permitting, there's NEPA, there's all sorts of things that have to be figured out. So, okay, so that's going to be installed and it'll be operational in 2028 or whatever it is, right? But what about between now and then? So buses have got to be increased. They've got to start charging for parking and tolling the road or something, right? And I know that there are issues with how that's going to work in terms of providing access to public lands to people. And I, I get that. And there's discussions about where to start tolling. Do you start tolling at entry one for Snowbird or do you start tolling at the bypass road or where do you start that? I don't know. But there are solutions that need to be put into place now, that things need to be done now, that we can talk about the future. That's great. And let's, let's solve it. WBA up to this point, and, and we're, we, you know, we're attempting to be open-minded, but we've studied these options and we think that, in, that enhanced busing without widening the road is the way to go. And I know there's lots of detractors and lots of people think a gondola or a train or whatever form is fine. There's talk about a hyperloop for God's sakes, but we think that enhanced busing would work, but let's be honest, enhanced busing is only solution that's going to solve anything in the next couple of years till any solutions put in place. So I think that's important that people need to support that or people just have to say, I guess we're just going to continue to have more of the same for the next seven years until this, you know, like Holy Grail comes down and starts moving more people faster. I think that's a mistake that, you know, people are going to get increasingly frustrated and we're seeing it this year in a lean snow year where, you know, we've had like, look at last weekend, it was a disaster. This weekend, it's going to probably be the same. We have snow coming tomorrow into Saturday. It's going to be a disaster. And those situations have got to be addressed now, not five years from now. Yeah, agreed. Um, any, any other comments kind of on the holistic view? You know, I, I kind of led that question with, you know, we're really focused on LCC, Little Cottonwood, because there's funding. Um, you know, I, I guess a comment and then, you know, it, we, we could start wrapping up because I think we were going to try to end at seven. Um, 
but as we look to the podcast series, this is designed every two weeks from this point forward on Thursdays at six, we're going to be having a different stakeholder and uh, different representatives that are proponents um, and, and, you know, you know, from, from busing to the gondola uh, to the train to come in and advocate for their solution. Um, and I think it might be a good way to set the tone for those future conversations um, to maybe, you know, what are the things we want to look at um, and ask, you know, these different people when they come on and, and talk, talk with us on the uptrack. Um, you know, some of the things that I think would be important, you know, include, uh, obviously, how does this solution impact dispersed users? You know, uh, we're, we're, we're not going to the resorts, you know, necessarily, we're going to trailheads. You know, is their solution designed to take traffic off the road so it's easier to get to, um, get to trailheads? You know, is this going to alleviate more, you know, trailhead parking? Um, what's the motivator behind these solutions? You know, what's driving it? Is there an economic driver for it? Is it, you know, is it taking into account a holistic view of what's right for the central Wasatch? Um, what, what other kind of questions do you guys think would be important as we're, you know, framing up the conversation? Um, you know, and Chris, I'm going to, I'm going to say, look, we need to try to be really open-minded about this. You know, I, I think that we have dip, we've gone in deep on analyzing it to this point, but, um, you know, when we're having these conversations, you know, we want to, we want to listen and learn about, you know, some of these things. One of the things that, you know, I I've been frustrated with is some of the direct questions I think for our community, um, I haven't had the answers to. And so I'm looking forward to the future podcast because we're going to have a dedicated hour to really jump into it. But what other, what other things do you guys think are important um, as, as we frame the, the discussions moving forward? I, I'd like to sort of reiterate what Chris said about sort of the short-term versus long-term solutions. Um, you know, UDOT has, they talk a lot, they talked a lot last spring about the, their plan for 2050 and that, you know, whatever system they have is gonna be in place, it's gonna be great in 2050. And my comment to them was, that's great. What do you do for me this season? Like, I think that, that um, you know, between uh, the, the amount of time that it takes for all the scoping and then design and then planning and then construction and, and how, much, how much effect is construction gonna have? Like, are we gonna have three, five, three four, five years of construction that's gonna be making it even more of a mess than it is now? Like, um, and, and at the time that I talked to UDOT about that, they had no, they just said, well, we don't know. Like, there's no iterative solutions in place. It's like, we're gonna have this huge project that's gonna end in 2050. We're gonna have a great solution in 2050 or 2035 uh, or something like that. And I was like, that's fine, but what am I gonna do next year or this season or tomorrow? Or, yeah. you know, in literally, even, even I'll give you five years. But I think that's a really important question. We need to ask all of these, all of our guests here to say, what, is the iter what are the iterative solutions? And I think one of the reasons why we like the uh, bus solution is that it is sort of a progressive and iterative solution that does indeed address dispersed users. Agreed. And I guess I would chime in here and something that comes to my mind that hasn't been discussed too much is, you know, the impact in the canyon bottom where all of these solutions are going to travel and run, how does that impact our human powered recreation traversing across um, uh, that corridor? Um, yeah. You know, right now we're able to get across the road without any issues. You go on the south side, the north side, but if there's a gondola running up or if there's a train running up, like, are you allowed to travel underneath that? to get to the other side? How, how is our access impacted by those new transportation corridors that currently don't exist? Yeah, I think that's, that's a fantastic question. Um, I, for sure, I think it'd be really interesting to, to think through that and, and push on you know, how, how are we gonna, going to accommodate these you know, dispersed users like this. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that I've been thinking through that I'd like to ask the other, you know, the, the proponents of these different solutions is, um, you know, what's the vision for what this looks like when it's successful? Um, take, take a family in Sugar House or in Sandy, West Jordan. They want to go skiing. They're a family of four. 
what's going to happen? Talk us through how this goes. They're going to go up to the ski resort and they're going to go up to Alta and, um, you know, mom and dad are going to go tour up Grizzly. Talk us through what this looks like. You know, what's happening with traffic? What's happening with parking capacity? Um, and I want to, I, I sort of have tried to envision each of these, what these look like. And, you know, I sort of scratch my head and say, I don't know if, if a family of four is going to go to a transportation hub, to the gondola, you know, and spend an hour doing all of that and, you know, get up there to a crowded ski resort, you know, yeah, but I, I think sort of yeah. just doing that exercise might be useful. Go ahead, Chris. I'll, I'll, no, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I think that that is, I mean, look, I don't think that WBA wants to come across as a bunch of Luddites who are afraid of change, right? And afraid of getting out of our cars. But right. I also think that you're exactly right, that, you know, I've got two kids. When they were small, if you had told me I was going to leave my house, drive to the bus, get on a bus, and then take that gondola up, I probably would never have taken my kids skiing you know, when they were little, there's just so much gear and the kids are cranky and that's the reality. And I'm not suggesting that I love being in my car, but at least you had some ability to control your environment and the kids could be, you know, comfortable. And I'm just concerned that if they think that all these families are going to do it, some certainly will, right. And some will be happy about it, but I think that, that they're, that, that they're missing the boat. And I, like you said, I'd really like to hear why they think that a family from, you know, Cottonwood Heights or West Jordan or the avenues is going to do all those things and think that it's cool, right? And if they say, well, the alternative is they have to pay 50 bucks to get up there, I don't think that's a great answer. I don't think that's the right answer. Yeah, but it'll, it'll, it'll be great to sort of just talk through that because I want to hear, you know, uh, and understand that vision of how this all works, you know, um, if, you know, from different perspectives. I'm doing a quick time check. Um, we did receive a bunch of comments on Facebook Live today uh, that we will respond to. Um, before I wrap up in a closing, I did see um, a question here that I, I thought maybe we could just pose and, and see if there's a quick response to this. Uh, someone asked uh, or someone commented, buses don't help you in a traffic jam or when the road is shut down and certainly don't help the air pollution. Uh, response? I'll address that. A couple things. One, WBA has been advocating for electric and energy efficient buses. These have been used in other areas. Park City has them. UTA did a test of one of these buses earlier this year, and apparently it worked quite well. So I think that buses can do that. I also think that, yes, there needs to be an, an incentive to get people out of their cars and onto the bus, right? And again, if we can get buses to run from other locations in the valley, so you don't have to drive down there, I think people will take the bus. I think that people will go to a close place, get on the bus, knowing the bus will take them up there. I also think that there are solutions that you could have the road only open to buses at certain times, right? And whether that's from like 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. and then 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. And look, again, these are going to be tough things for people to swallow and change is hard, right? But I think it can work. I will also say, and, and you know, this is sort of a closing thing. I know that we're close to time, but I think we need to accept the fact that when it starts storming like crazy in a little cottonwood, whether it's in the summer with a rainstorm or the winter with a snowstorm, we should not be attempting to control nature. And these, no matter what solution you pick, it is not going to work in every situation. And yes, when the road is snowy, the road is not great. When there's a big uh, avalanche or a mudslide or a forest fire, I'm not sure the gondola or train are going to work the way people seem to think they're going to work. I don't know about you, but I'm not hopping in the gondola when there's a forest fire in Little Cottonwood to ride down the canyon. I don't think that's going to be something they're going to want to do. If there's an avalanche, I don't know that the gondola or train is going to run. So I just, I don't, I'm not trying to be like silly here, but I think that people are looking at some of these like a magic bullet. And I think that's wrong, that all these solutions have a problem. We are talking about going four and a half thousand feet up the canyon that snows as much as almost anywhere in the country. We have to accept that as a given, whether we like it or not, and then understand what solutions can work in a way that make it appealing to use, but also in ways that make it efficient to use it. And also not changing the character by hanging a bunch of gondola cables up there and putting towers or destroying climbing areas to put in a train as these things are proposed. So I think that needs to be kept in mind too. Yeah. Tom, did you have something to add to that? Well, <clears throat> I think that, uh, am I muted? Oh, no, um, I can hear you. that uh, there are ways to get around that. For example, snow sheds, you know, snow sheds are very commonly used in Europe, up in Canada, in the U S as well. Um, there are, you know, very known avalanche paths 
And um, I agree that, you know, if a canyon is closed to cars, it's also closed to buses. But if we did this, if there was a solution which has been proposed with um, snow sheds, that would uh, be alleviated. And keep in mind that if we put a lot more people in buses, there'd be a lot fewer cars, it'll create a lot less congestion, et cetera. So as Chris said, there's no silver bullet, but you can mitigate, just like, just like the avalanche pros are mitigating avalanche danger, we, the, the transportation pros can mitigate so the, the solutions associated with, with um, transportation issues. And as Chris said, there's no silver bullet. So we have to kind of figure out what's gonna be best. And it's important for these guys to, to realize that the needs of dispersed users and that, that the canyons have <clears throat> a limited capacity. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, George, go ahead. You were going to say something. I would just say that, like, too, the, the, the gondola is not a magic bullet either. I mean, there's going to be potentially, like, wind events that the road's open now for wind, but maybe the wind will uh, close the gondola. Maybe there'll be ice events. It's, it's, it's not a silver bullet, and there's a lot of impact that comes with it as well. And then what about uh, uh, making disincentivizing that road use that needs to happen soon and now and yeah the, the road is a challenging circumstance on some days but there's also a, a distinct lack of enforcement going on even though there's a perception that it's, it's better that the tires that are used in there um four-wheel drive uh, and the like it, it's not in it's it's not rigorously enforced yet you know the, part the, of the problem as well the amount of money that we're talking about for some of these solutions, um, it seems that, and again, I'm not an expert. I, I, I respect what UTA, UDOT do, absolutely. But that amount of money that we're talking about for things like traction law enforcement, you know, that would be a smidgen, a small percent of the money, right, to sort of do these things to mitigate some of these real challenges and problems. Um, and so, yeah, I think really valid points. Um, I do want to, uh, any final thoughts before we kind of wrap up? I have a couple of announcements I want to make uh, to the board or to the to the listeners. No, right. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Let me, let's see here. Da, da, da. Just going to share the screen. Um, so something from um, an event coming up for, for Wasatch Backcountry Alliance is our Backcountry Film Festival. And uh, we'd like to encourage anyone, you know, just who loves ski, ski movies. They're really fun, they're very entertaining. It's a fundraiser for us. Um, you know, you can um, access and watch those February 4th through the 15th. It's only 10 bucks um, and, and 20 bucks per household. So $10 for, for an individual, 20 bucks for a household. Um, and you can read more about that on our Facebook page or on our website under events. Um, and I wanted to just promote the podcast series. So uh, we're just getting started. Uh, appreciate everyone's patience with some of the bugs that we had today. We got it started a little bit late and, and some other things. We'll work those out. Um, but looking ahead, um, you know, next up we have Ralph Becker and Blake Perez from Central Wasatch Commission. And I think that's going to be a really great mm -hmm. event on the 11th. Um, moving forward, we're going to be talking to UTA about busing solutions. Then the gondola, we have uh, a crew that, uh, that, that's excited to talk to us about the gondola. Um, on, the, on March 11th, the 25th, we're going to be talking cog train solutions. Uh, Mike Allegra, who um, a lot of people might know from UTA, is going to be participating with us on that one. And then finally, kind of wrapping it up with our guests, uh, we're going to have uh, UDOT uh, participate. And um, I'm really looking forward to that. And then finally, we'll have another roundtable discussion to kind of talk about the findings and, you know, how this went. Um, and what, what people can expect then is that um, uh, Wasatch Backcountry Alliance is going to reevaluate our position and come out with a strong recommendation on what we think is going to work. Um, and we're going to be, you know, evaluating all these things we talked about today from the economics to what's gonna work for dispersed users, um, to the end-to-end -end solution of how this really works. And um, we, we hope that you'll join us for that ride and, and you know, listen and learn you know, from everyone that's coming on board. And um, you know, the, the goal is there's no silver bullet, as everyone said, but we come up with the very best solution moving forward um, by doing this. So 
Any uh, other closing kind of remarks or anything, gentlemen? Okay, 